Welcome to Carter Conlon's 2022 Easter special, To Be Risen with Christ. What does it mean to be risen with Christ? How does God manifest His glory through my life? You might be surprised to learn that the answer has to do with a gardener, a traveler, and a cook. God's plan is to make Himself known through our lives in a way that only He can. There is treasure on this topic revealed in Scripture that will make you shout for joy. Let's join Carter now for his 2022 Easter special, To Be Risen with Christ. This is Carter Conlon. I want to welcome you to our Easter special today. Uh, I've given it a title. It's called To Be Risen with Christ. There's obviously an incredible power that's available to all of us as believers in Christ by his indwelling Holy Spirit. But what does it really mean to be risen with Christ? And of course, obviously, many of us would be asking today, well, what does that look like? Do you have some practical examples of that? I I have a theological understanding to some point, but would you help me? And I'm hoping today that that's what this program can do for you and for me. Just help us to understand what it means to be risen with Christ. Now, I want to start in Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 to 3. And if you do have a Bible handy. It'd be wonderful if you could get it out or any kind of device and maybe just just follow along with me. Paul the Apostle says in Colossians 3 verses 1 to 3, if then you were raised with Christ, if you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above and not on things of the earth. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So obviously when we read this, there's an incredible mystery in this. We're being exhorted in a sense to to leave our thoughts behind, to go where Jesus is and embrace the thoughts of his mind, the thoughts of his life and his heart, and to to become hidden in him. But, you know, practically speaking, what, what does that actually look like? Now let's start in the book of Romans chapter 8 and verse 11. Now, Romans chapter 8 and verse 11 says something really, really profound to you and I today. And here's, the, here's what it says. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So in other words, by the spirit of almighty God, we are, as Christ was, we are raised out of a place where we used to be. The Bible calls it death when we were separated from God. Remember, the wages of sin is death. We, we, we lived in a place of darkness and death. But by the Spirit of God, when we received Christ as Savior, we were raised with him out of death and out of darkness into a new place. Now, the, the Scripture says it, we, we are quickened. Now, that literally means we're given abilities, in a sense, to do things we couldn't do before. We are quickened by the Spirit of God to become people that maybe we are incapable of being in our own strength. Remember, the scripture says, if, if anyone be in Christ, he is a, a what? He's a new creation. The old things in our lives are passed away, and behold, all things become new. The old ways of thinking, the old ways of living, the old ways of doing things are now passed away, and everything has become new. We are united with Christ in victory at the right hand of God, and we're to set our affection on these things. Now, Paul says, in Colossians chapter 1, if we go back just, uh, just two chapters in verses 25 to 27 of Colossians chapter 1, he says, I became a minister according to the stewardship from God, which was given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. 
The mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to his saints. To them God will to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So Paul is saying this, that God's purpose and plan in raising us up in Christ is to make Christ known in a way that only God can through us, through us, to people who actually live in darkness. It's amazing when, when you realize that Jesus said, you are the light of the world, a city set on a hill that cannot be hidden. And this is the, the mystery, in a sense, is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now, for Christ to be fully revealed in me and in you, first of all, we must be prepared to decrease. Now, now John the Baptist explains this in John chapter 3, verses 29 to 31. Now, he said these words in verse 29, He who has the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is fulfilled. In other words, John says, well, I have a voice. I have things in my mind, I have a heart, and I have opinions, but there is a voice, another voice, that is greater than my voice, a a voice that supersedes my voice. And in hearing his voice, it brings great joy into my heart, such joy, actually, that in the next verse, in verse 30, he says, he must increase, but I must decrease. That, That is the cry of every Christian heart said, God, your thoughts are higher than my thoughts. Your ways are higher than my ways. So I'm, I'm going to leave behind my way of thinking, my way of doing things, my, my personal opinions, and I'm going to where you are at the right hand of God, and I want to know what your mind is for my life. I want to know how you would have me uh, bring your glory in a sense, or how you would bring your glory through me to this generation that live in darkness. So Lord, you have to increase and I have to decrease. I believe that's the heart that gets the victory. That's the the man or woman that opens their Bible in the morning and they start reading the Word of God and they say, God, your thoughts have to increase in my life and my thoughts must decrease. You you have to come and, and override my old way of thinking. You see, because otherwise I'll set my affection on the things of this earth and not on the things of you where you are at the right hand of God. He further clarifies it in verse 31. He says, he who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth is earthly and speaks of the earth. He who comes from heaven is above all. In other words, you're, you are so far above my way of thinking that, God, I, I aspire to have your voice become mine and your heart become my heart. Now, now where, did, where do we start with all of this journey? How, how, how do we... How do we uh, progress from where we are to to where we need to be in Christ? Now, Philippians chapter 2, verses 4 to 7, Paul starts giving instructions again on how we do this. He says in verse 4 of Philippians chapter 2, Look, let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Now, isn't that that where Christ is at the right hand of God? I mean, he went to the cross— because he so loved the world. He did not want to lose any and have none perish. And so he came to this world. He went to a cross. He went back in complete victory and left us on the earth, in a sense, to be an expression of that heart 
that sent the Son of God into incredible suffering for our sake that we might be forgiven and be restored in relationship to God. So he says, let's not spend the rest of our time looking out for ourselves and our own interests. Let it not our life be about me, myself, and mine, and I, but let's, let's ask for the eyes of God to be able to look out from our own concerns to the concerns of others. And in verse 5, he says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of what? No reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. So this is incredible. This is, it's almost like it's the key to walking with the resurrected Christ, making ourselves of no reputation. In other words, we're, not, we're no longer trying to climb above everybody else and, and achieve some measure of success that we formerly thought success was. But following in the footsteps of the risen Christ, we're simply walking among men, and we don't, in a sense, want to dominate others. We, we're not looking for personal reputation, but we're looking out for the concerns of others. This is actually the heart of the risen Christ being manifested through his church. Making ourselves of no reputation, taking on the form of a bondservant. You know, in the natural, nobody wants to be a servant. Everybody wants to be a lord. Everybody wants to run the estate. Everybody wants everybody else to be running around and doing everything for them. It's not natural to, to our fallen nature to want to be a servant. But God became a servant through his son, Jesus Christ, and coming in the likeness of man. In other words, identifying with the people around him identifying with the struggling masses, identifying with the lonely, the confused, the, the oppressed, the addicted, not, not being aloof from them, but actually walking with them where they are. Now, let me give you three examples of what the risen Christ actually looked like. When, after he went to the cross, died, was three days in the grave, and then he was raised from the dead. So now we're talking about the risen Christ, right? Because we're talking about representing the risen Christ, especially now in our generation. There was a lady in John chapter 20 and uh, verse 15 and onward, um, who was, her name was Mary, and she came to the garden tomb where his body had been, and she was weeping, and she was looking for him, and she looked in the, the tomb, assumedly, and, and he wasn't there. And so suddenly this man appears uh, behind her and or beside her, and the scripture says she supposed him to be the gardener. Isn't that amazing? It's the risen Christ. <laughs> I don't know what he looked like. That he, I don't know what garb they wore. I don't know what he had in his hand. But she looked at him and immediately thought, this is the gardener. This is the guy who comes in and kind of looks after this, this garden where the tomb is. Now, he said to her, why are you weeping? He's, he's, not, he's, he's concerned about her sorrow. This, this is the risen Christ. He looks like a gardener. He doesn't look like he's not 10 foot tall. He's not bronze. There's no angels around him. He's not in a chariot with white horses. He's actually, by today's, in today's language, he's wearing coveralls and carrying, he has a hoe in his hand. And she assumes that he is the gardener. She doesn't recognize him. Isn't this interesting? She doesn't recognize him as the Jesus that she knew and loved until he called her name. You see, it was his voice and not his appearance that gave her hope. You see, you and I have to, as John said, his voice causes joy in my heart. I've got to decrease 
and he's got to increase. I've got to get rid of my thoughts and my opinions, and I've got to embrace this heart of God who now sits in the right hand of all victory as the risen Christ and say, God, you left me on the earth to represent you as the risen Christ among people of our society and of our time. So, Lord, would you help me to get rid of my voice? And would you start to speak through me? You know, there's a, there's a sensitivity to the spirit that God is willing to give us if we're willing to walk with him. The, we begin to know his thoughts. We know his mind. He, don't forget, the Holy Spirit knows the sorrow in people's hearts that are all around us if we are willing to decrease, if we're willing to get rid of our own thoughts, if we're willing to slow down and just listen to the voice of God, and then we speak when he tells us to speak. We say what God is telling us to say. I'll give you an example of this. Uh, a year ago or so, the, a young couple came to our Bible school in, in Pennsylvania, and they, they were experiencing sorrow. They had started out in ministry, pastoral ministry, and God was blessing them when suddenly she fell ill. Uh, her name is Sarah. And because of her illness, she ended up paralyzed and in a wheelchair with the prognosis that she would never walk again. And I remember the sorrow that was in the heart of this couple the first time I met them. And she and her husband came to our home, and we were having a bit of a, a season of prayer and talking together. And suddenly, the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart. Suddenly. Like my thoughts of, of this young woman, uh, you know, my thoughts would be, here's a young lady and she's in a wheelchair and I have to learn to maybe minister to this couple and, and give them hope for the future or whatever. Those are my thoughts. And they're not bad thoughts. They're just my thoughts. But suddenly God's thoughts just overrode my thoughts. And I looked at her in the chair and I said, you don't belong in that wheelchair. And a little later on, I told her, I said, before the year is out, you're going to walk again. Now, she'd been given a prognosis of never walking again. But you see, God was able to speak a thought into my heart and gave me the willingness to speak it into her life. And long story short, Sarah is walking today and a living testimony of the miraculous power of God. It's wonderful to be a gardener. It's wonderful to, to just be of, of no reputation, of no report. You're, you're looking at the sorrow in somebody else's heart, and you might start by saying, why are you weeping? And then you just say something that that person knows that God has spoken to them. This is Sarah's testimony. She said, I knew I had a word from God. Not a word from Pastor Carter. I had a word from God. And in my part, I was just willing to speak. I was the gardener in her moment of sorrow. And I simply said what God was speaking to my heart. Now, this is not presumption on my part, and I would not even dare to speak it if I didn't know it was the thoughts of God being given to me. But I knew in my heart that the voice of God was speaking to me, and I just said something to her that gave her gladness and gave her hope, and eventually opened her heart to hearing the voice of God and knew and afresh herself. And there came a day, there came a day in her apartment where she was just in her wheelchair cleaning countertops as best as she could, and the Lord suddenly said, Sarah, stand up. She heard the voice of God for herself, and she stood up, and a miracle happened that day that we're still talking about here at our Bible school, an absolute miracle of healing. It's so wonderful just to be the gardener in somebody else's sorrow. That's what there is in Christ looks like. Just the gardener, just an ordinary person just walking through the valley of somebody else's suffering. 
And suddenly God, his voice, I delight, John says, his voice. The bride, when the, when the, 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 uh, the groomsman, when he, when he hears the voice of the bridegroom, he, his, his heart leaps, he jumps, and, and then he goes on to say, I must decrease, or he must increase and I must decrease. See, that's the revelation of the heart that's going to be used by God, that's going to be walking, in a sense, in heavenly places with the risen Christ. It's the heart that says, God, please get me out of the way and speak through me. You know, you think of the numbers of people that you and I encounter every day that are in sorrow. They, they might be hiding it with, with whatever they use to hide it. But God knows, God knows, God knows the sorrow in their heart. And if we're willing to speak, just even pray with somebody or say their name in a way that only the Spirit of God can, and they, they know. See, she didn't recognize him physically. She recognized his voice, and that's the key. That's the key. If we are willing to decrease, the voice of the Son of God, the risen Christ, can start speaking through us again. Now, secondly, in Luke chapter 24, Jesus appears again on the road called Emmaus. There's a couple of men, and they've, they've just lost heart. They had hoped that he was going to be the Savior that brought deliverance to the, their nation, and, and they, they lost their hope. When he died and went into the grave, they, they simply lost their hope. And they're, they're walking away from Jerusalem, which, which is, is symbolic of walking away from the call of God, the place where they needed to be. They're walking away from the place of worship into a place of sorrow and despair. So he just kind of buddies up to them on the side of the road and, and travels with them for, for quite a distance, actually. And on, the, on that journey, he just, he just it's, it's obviously not convenient. And, and it speaks to me of the, of, of the willingness to spend time and being given for other people and, and embracing their journey, even if the journey is going in the wrong direction, just, just kind of walking with them for a season. He opened the scripture. He began to explain to them the ways of God. And when they invited him to come in and stay longer with them, he accepted the invitation. So it's, it's obviously inconveniencing him, let's put it that way, in the natural, but it's not inconveniencing him in his heart. He's the son of God. He's, he's come for this reason. And the scripture says when he, they sat at the table and he broke bread, which is always symbolic of being given for others. And when he, when he broke bread, when it was through a traveler that was willing to be given for some very confused men and depressed men. And, and through this traveler, when he broke the bread, the scripture says they knew him. Isn't that amazing? You know, uh, we, the willingness, in a sense, to, be, to have our plans broken, our day broken up, our, the, incon the, the convenience of our lives broken up, to, to, to buddy up to somebody that maybe we just rather just go the other way and say, well, you go your way, I'm going mine. But he walks this journey and goes in and sits down with them, and it was through the willingness to be broken and given that suddenly their eyes were open. Now, they didn't recognize him physically. Nobody probably ever did after he rose from the dead, but there's a reason for this. But here he is, he's just a traveler. See, this is what the, being risen with Christ looks like. It, it's the, it, he was explaining, he was, he was showing us that I'm going to have a body on the earth. And the body is going to look very normal. It's going to be the gardener who speaks with my voice. It's going to be the traveler who's willing to be given and inconvenienced for the sake of others. Now, the last part of being risen with Christ is found in John chapter 21. 
the disciples, they kind of went back to their old profession again. They were living in a moment of uh, perhaps confusion. I I can understand that. If we would have been there with them, we would understand it. And they're out and they're fishing all night and they catch nothing. And and there's suddenly a voice comes from the shore and says, have you caught anything? And they said, no, nothing. He said, well, cast the net on the other side. Try the other side of the boat. <laughs> you know. And they did. And the scripture says they brought in this incredible multitude of fishes. And they, they, and then somebody in the boat says, it's the Lord. You know, they, they don't recognize him, but they recognize his voice. And Peter jumps out of the boat and doesn't even wait for the boat to come in, swims to shore. And when he gets there and when they all arrive, he's got fish and biscuits on a fire. They don't recognize him physically. You have to understand this, folks. They don't, but he is there. It's the risen Christ, and, and he just looks like a cook at this point. Remember, we have a gardener, we have a traveler, and now we have a cook. And he's, he's willing to feed hungry people. You know, why do we make it so complicated, you know? And he's willing to guide those that are hungry and weary and confused and, and maybe offer another, another, another viewpoint in a sense of how things could be done that would bring in a harvest. You know, we, we do get stuck in our ways. They, they were stuck in their ways. As a matter of fact, they fished all night and never occurred to anybody to throw the net on the other side of the boat. You know, that's, that's what we get like. Now, he's not offended with them. He doesn't call them stupid. He doesn't say, you know, you, when I said I'd make you fishers of men, that's not what I was talking about. He doesn't chastise them for just spending the whole night throwing the net on one side of the boat and not considering the other. He's, you can feel the kindness in the heart of this man, the Son of God, the risen Christ. And, and the time he took, actually, to make a fire, the time he took to get some fish and some bread and put them on the coals, uh, and the patience that he had with these men that were going to be his disciples. And, you know, we, we need that heart. We need that patience of the cook, in a sense, the willingness to feed people that are hungry, the willingness to guide those that are weary, or confused. And I want to tell you today, in my heart, this is what being risen with Christ actually looks like. You know, there's so many people out there that said, but being risen with Christ, I, I'm going to be a superstar. I'm going to preach to hundreds of thousands. I'm going to do all of this stuff. And when the risen Christ, the first things we see of the risen Christ is a gardener, a traveler, and a cook. Don't you just love the Word of God? The way God actually chooses to reveal himself. If you be risen with Christ, what? Seek those things where he is, sitting in victory at the right hand of God. So we're, we're all looking at the thrones and the power and, that, and the glory of that kingdom, and we forget the gardener, the traveler, and the cook. Oh, may God help us in this generation to speak with the voice of the Son of God, to be willing to be given for people that are are discouraged and confused and to be willing to feed people. Could it be just that simple? And give them guidance and give them direction and then challenge them to love God with all their heart, their soul, and their mind and their strength. You know, we fell into the trap, at least in this nation, in my opinion, of thinking that somehow being risen with Christ has to elevate us into this super spiritual, super-Christian status. And uh, so we we brought everybody into the house of God, and we elevated certain personality types, and we forgot the gardener, the traveler, and the cook, who all are the risen Christ. What was he teaching us? I'm going to have a body on the earth. 
I'm going to have a body I speak through. They're going to be able to do more than I was able to do. And this is what all of them are going to look like. Oh, God, I want to say thank you today. How good you are. How you deliver us, God, from performance-based Christianity. Lord, you just want us to be uh, just (laughs) supernaturally ordinary people. God Almighty, I love you for it, and I thank you. Please help somebody out there today that feels worthless or they feel like their life is amounting to nothing to understand that being risen with Christ is a whole lot different than what we thought it was. Thank you, Father. Let this be indeed a happy Easter. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us. You've been listening to an Easter message from Pastor Carter Conlon of Times Square Church titled, To Be Risen with Christ. For more information, be sure to log on to carterconlon.com.